Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, what if T'Challa became a Star-Lord? WWE powers up for a SummerSlam. And will 2021 be the year for Sparks? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our shows. And if you can, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or do anything that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, our good friends, the Dig on America podcast, you do need to support that one. And they sent me a sweet shirt. And I cannot thank Jason and the crew, Big Haas, and everyone out there. Just cannot thank you guys enough. Plus, also as well, got to go ahead and support everything we do as far as our great role-playing games and so much more. And if you can, it is sincerely appreciated. But it wouldn't be a PCC multiverse without a good friend. I'll tell you what, she is the queen of our tabletop (laughs) RPG gaming. You can catch her and everyone else on our crew because we're the number one Facebook streamers out there for tabletop RPG games, including Dungeons & Dragons, Mass Effect, so much more. It is a good friend indeed. It is Melinda Barkhouse. And Melinda, thanks for finally coming on to the program. Well, thanks for finally asking. (laughs) I'm glad to have you here. I know I've been trying to get you integrated and figure out what way we can do this. I figure off, you know what? A great way to bring you on is to help to have you come on and give us a hand from time to time co-hosting. I know with Josh, his plate is going to become a lot fuller down the road. So we're going to have you on a lot more shows coming up. You've got a ton of radio experience in Canada. So I'm glad to have you on the program today. Happy to be here. All right. But I'll tell you what, a lot to talk about, Melinda. I know you've been studying up on your pop culture, and so have I. We've got a lot to talk about, including a new episode of What If and how that series is transpiring. So we're going to be talking about What If, plus also as well, Amazon made another big purchase. We'll talk about the big purchase that they made, plus what studio is acting like a free agent. We'll talk about that coming up on the show as well. Plus, we're going to be talking about WWE SummerSlam. That hits our city, both Melinda and myself, Las Vegas, Nevada. 
that hits this weekend. We're going to preview a little bit of that coming up on the show. And also as well, Star Wars Visions, the anime series coming next month to Disney+. Plus. They dropped a trailer this week, so I want to hear Melinda's first impressions of that trailer as well. Plus, as guests, we have Jeff Sloboda from MCU's Bleeding Edge talking about the programs that have been on for Disney+. Plus. How's it going so far and how it's shaping the MCU Plus, and a big bonus, and I'm so happy to be finally talking about this after so many years, Sparks, the great band Sparks, Russell, and Ron Mayo, just a great couple of guys reaching from my neck of the woods in Southern California. They, after five decades of great music and success all over the world, they may be having their biggest year yet with not only a documentary by Edgar Wright that they made called The Sparse Brothers, which is out and which is really good. But this weekend, dropping on Amazon Prime, it is Annette starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard. And you got to go ahead and check that movie out when it comes out and why there's a lot of buzz around it. And it's all because of Sparks. And we'll be talking to not one, but two super fans from the Sparks Indiscreet Sparks fan group on Facebook. Fran Winston and Freddie Valentine, that's coming up on the show as well. But Melinda, let's get this started off with Marvel's What If. I know you've been checking out episode one and two. Episode two just dropped. Don't know if you want to go into spoilers. We can if you want to. All I will say is this. Episode two is leaps and bounds better than episode one. Now, I didn't hate episode one. What were your issues with episode one? I just thought it was eh. I thought outside of Captain Carter herself, I thought the animation and the voice acting because you couldn't get all the stars. And this is going to be a running theme throughout the entire series because they didn't get all the actual original mm-hmm. MCU stars. They got most, but not all. Their batting average is probably around six out of 10, which is actually pretty good considering all the money that they had to dish out to get these voice actors. Yeah, right. It's above average. But, yeah, it's above average. But for the most part, it was kind of uneven, but again, Captain Carter was the only thing that made it like an okay episode for me, just not not anything that stood out. To me, this latest episode where what if T'Challa became Star-Lord and had his own Guardians of the Galaxy type adventure, that truly made it special for me and now has got me hooked into the What If series. Yeah, and it was really bittersweet to see and hear Chadwick Boseman again, yes. wasn't it? Absolutely. The producer said he's going to be part of four episodes in the series, and that's the last work he did. Oh, gosh. Excuse me. I'm heartbroken all over again. But no, I really enjoyed the episode, and I'm I'm really enjoying this twist. I mean, Thanos, spoiler alert, mute me for a second if you need to, but like Thanos as a good guy, I wasn't mad at it. Well, actually, we will go into spoilers. And my daughter said it best as she was watching it this morning while I'm taking her to school. And she screams out, Thanos is just a dude. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had pretty much the same reaction, <laughs> to be honest. And I'm interested, and I know this isn't doesn't pertain exactly to this episode, but I'm really interested to see what's going to happen, what they're going to do with yeah. Gamora. Is she I, going to be the new yes. Black Widow? Maybe. Or she could be the new Thanos, because in oh. the stills that are, have been showcased out there that if you take it from whatever trailer she has she's wearing thanos's armor that he wore in infinity war and avengers endgame and Ah. uses the uh the big double-handed sword that he uh, used in avengers endgame so 
if that could be the case, even though it's he jokes about it, Thanos does about the genocide that mm-hmm. idea that he keeps trying to pitch throughout the episode. Yeah, and ultimately T'Challa talked him out of doing it. That could be executed in some form or fashion by Gamora, or does she use it for the side of good? That remains to be seen, but she is going to be part of the What If series as well. Yeah, and the next episode is, well, we don't know him as Star-Lord, the Chris Pratt character. I love that he was working at Dairy Queen. Yes. (laughs) I bet you he makes a mean mint Oreo blizzard. That's what my money is on. Absolutely. I love the product placement on that. It's great to see. I I like it when we can relate to real world things and that the licensing and things don't get in the way and they just go ahead and say, you know what, we're just going to call it contact Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen, whether some money was transacted or not, Dairy Queen said, yeah, we're cool with it and we're going to go ahead and and, and take care of it there. That was actually Kurt Russell's real voice Mm -hmm. in it. So I'm really happy that he got to be a part of it. I'm not sure. Was that Chris Pratt or not? I don't think it was. I was trying to place it, but with the animation and then hearing the voice at the same time, like I really need to not look at the TV in order to pick up voices. It's weird. It was like that, but well, the thing is, the collector Benicio del Toro that was his voice, but it was a different voice that he used than the one in Guardians of the Galaxy movie because he's a different character in this scenario in this universe. Because he's much more of a bad guy for it. And he was the bad guy in this situation. But I really like this angle that they they portray T'Challa as this Robin Hood of the galaxy who steals from the rich to help out the poor and help out worlds and help out the whole galaxy in order for the betterment of all species. And it truly shows that Marvel sometimes these days has its heart in the right place. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, do we need to talk about the, the cameo of the duck? Absolutely. Absolutely. Howard the Duck, as far as with with Seth Green, again, reprising the role. He he reprised, he did the voiceover in the original Guardians of the Galaxy with Howard the Duck, and he got a chance to do it again. But it was a little bit more detailed this time as he helped T'Challa on his adventure to try and go ahead and get the embers that ultimately could feed the hungry throughout the galaxy. So I really like that aspect. And, And again, Marvel is doing a great job of getting almost every actor. The only actor that they really kind of missed was Dave Bautista. And that's because Marvel did ask his agents, but his agents never brought it up to him. So let's just say that Dave Bautista was kind of mad about that. Oof. Yeah. Who wouldn't be? Yes. Your overall impressions where we stand early on in the What If series. I'm all for it. I dig the style of animation. I I think it's, it's pretty to watch, even if you are just watching TV for purely for the sake of zoning out and forgetting about your day. It's beautiful to look at. I think that the stories are interesting enough. And I think that the way that they're doing the episodes and they're jumping from important event to important event kind of keeps the pace of all of the episodes moving forward and, and stuff like that. I think it's, I'm, I'm all for it. Two thumbs up for me. I like it. But I'll tell you what, it's going to be interesting to see what we'll check out for the rest of the season for What If. I'm now intrigued, and I'm now very happy to go ahead and continue on with it. Are you excited for what's to come in What If after the latest episode featuring T'Challa? What if he became Star-Lord? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, before we hit the break and some great interviews with Fran Winston and Freddie Valentine with their thoughts on Sparks Hitting the big time once again after five decades in music. Wanted to ask you this. Amazon spent a tiny little sum of cash because we reported 
that Sony moved Transylvania 4 off of its October release date. I think it was going to be October 1, if I'm not mistaken. They moved it off of its release date. That's when they moved Venom, Let There Be Carnage, into a mid-October slate, and they moved Transylvania 4 completely off, I'm assuming because of what's going on with COVID and all that. And then just a few days later, they announced that they sold the rights to Transylvania 4 to Amazon for $100 million. This is not the first time Amazon has gone shopping for movies. Back to America 2, the Borat sequel, the Tomorrow War. All these movies have been purchased by Amazon, some of them to really big numbers. Your thoughts on Transylvania 4 heading to Amazon? Well, no Adam Sandler is Dracula. I'm already protesting the film. <laughs> yeah, so I heard, so I heard. Maybe that's part of the reason why, and if you could get a quick $100 million from it, maybe that was the case. Maybe that was probably you know a lot smarter decision by Sony. This also brings up the question about Sony themselves. Sony, which has Crackle out there, and Crackle is one of the first streaming outlets. People don't remember this, but yeah, Crackle was something that's been around for a ton of years. Was it free service that they have? Had ads put in there. Nobody really made a big deal about it because it had limited library of movies and TV shows to reference off of. A lot of them old, a lot of them outdated, things of that nature. But they really had a chance to jump into this thing a lot quicker and a lot better than what they did. But now they're like this free agent. Instead of putting it on their own platform, and also, I remember when they tried to do the same thing with PlayStation. They popped on shows and they made shows specifically for PlayStation. That didn't continue to uh, any type of fruition. But now they seem to be this like free agent that's selling its wares off to the highest bidder, whether it's Amazon or Netflix. To me, it seems like it was a shame because they had the chance to go ahead and become a big player in the industry with their own streaming outlet, but now are choosing to go ahead and sell off their IPs to the highest bidder. I think that, you know, the ability to create content and then be able to sell it to the people who are already the big players in the market and you not having to get into that turf war and punch your way into the conversation. If you can just create content, sell it to the highest bidder, you're probably ahead of the game, if you ask me at this point. Well, it reminds me almost like it should be an episode of What If. What yeah. if Sony had gotten its act together and made Crackle? more yeah. of importance. I mean, for years, I was yelling at Amazon when I first started the show about how they treated Amazon Prime with a bunch of old movies and old TV shows and they had this thing on the side that they really didn't care one iota about. Then you started seeing stuff like The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, The Boys, really get acclaim and garner a lot of interest. And it, Amazon realized, wow, we can make some money off this thing. We can bring in subscribers off this thing, not just the prime sales. So now yeah. you see where it is today. And Sony had that opportunity because it was one of the first streaming entities well before HBO Max or Disney Plus or anything of that nature. It was like there with Amazon and Netflix. And it's interesting how Netflix took the lead and took just such a big and huge divisive gap away from entities like that. And I bet someone at Sony is still shaking their heads that they could have had a better chance of being a big player in the streaming industry. Yeah, it's definitely taking a missed opportunity and making the best out of what is still on the table, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. So they're just selling off their stuff. But that is Sony. They're like a free agent out there with all the stuff. But what are your thoughts out there on Transylvania 4 hitting Amazon Prime? Share us your thoughts, Pop Culture Cosmos at yahoo.com.
Well, coming up next, could this be a big year for Sparks? Maybe even the biggest ever with a documentary, with a net, with their great soundtrack that's out. All the stuff that's coming out for Sparks. I'm going to go ahead and talk to Fran Winston and Freddie Valentine from the Sparks Indiscreet Sparks fan group on Facebook. I'm going to ask them if this could finally be the year for Sparks. This is the PCC Multiverse. Big on America. Hey guys, this is Jason Dutch with Dig on America Podcast, and I'm here with Big Hops. And I'm also here with Mikey Famine. Dig on America here, we explore how American history, policies, and sometimes even our pop culture created the social and political issues facing Americans today. You can check out our website, digonamerica.com. We're on every single audio podcast app there is out there, Pandora, Spotify, etc. Subscribe on YouTube. You can check us out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash DOA podcast. Hopefully you'll listen to the show, guys. Dig on America. All right, and we're back with the show. It's Gerald Glassford. Come right back at you here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Ron and Russell Mayo. You might not know who they are, but for five decades of music, as far as gaining their own niche all across the world, but this could be the year, 2021, they have their biggest year ever. Why do I say that? Well, I'll tell you what. First starts off with the awesome documentary, The Sparks Brothers. And that's directed by Edgar Wright. If you get a chance, please check it out today. It is a tremendous, tremendous way to go ahead and check out who the Sparks Brothers really are. And also as well, this weekend drops a new movie written by the Mayo Brothers. And I'll tell you what, it's already garnered a lot of acclaim already because recently at the Cannes Film Festival, the best director was Leo Carra for this film, and the winner for Best Soundtrack was Sparks themselves. So my congratulations to them. And if you want to check out this award-winning movie already, it's Annette, and that's coming to Amazon Prime this weekend and soon all over the world. But I'll tell you what, there's a great guest coming up right now, and she is here to talk Sparks. It is Fran Winston, all the way from Ireland. Welcome. Greetings from Ireland. Greetings indeed. Great to have you here. Your thoughts on this great weekend coming up for Sparks. It's not just a great weekend. It's a great year. I actually wrote a piece recently where I said I'm just so happy that they're finally getting the recognition they deserve because they do work so hard. I saw one of their concerts, Russell said, it's hard being a Sparks fan and we're sorry for the erratic output of albums. But they've done 25 albums in 50 years. Madonna is going 40 years next year and she's only released 13 albums. 25 albums is actually quite prolific and they feel like they're not doing enough so i just i just think it's great that finally people are getting turned on to them i have turned so many friends onto them and i just love them i think they're brilliant my time with them dates back to the 80s with the outer space album and how it transformed me as a young man and, and how much i remember it so and of course over the course of the five decades their styles have etched on hard rock heavy metal. It's also touched on and influenced the British pop wave that came in the early 80s. And I'll tell you what, it's been all over the gambit and has transformed into now as far as into the 90s and beyond into this century with such great music. How do you feel like that five decades later after they originally started, 
actually six if you want to include their time at UCLA under different names, how Sparks is creating new music and getting in new fans. I think it's because they do keep mixing it up and keep it interesting. They've never been about the commercial interest. I first got into Sparks actually in the mid 90s when they brought out gratuitous sax and senseless violins. And I heard, when do I get to sing my way? And as a movie buff, when I saw the video, I was looking at this video going, oh, my God. And of course, being a bit of a nerd, I had to do a deep dive and look at their back catalogue. But this was pre-internet, so I'm probably not going to tell you exactly how long I spent researching Sparks, but it was a lot. And I just couldn't believe like every album that I stumbled upon was so different because I thought this was their sound. This was what I had discovered. And then you go back and everything, every single album was so different. And then I learned that, you know, obviously they'd influenced a lot of my favorite 80s bands, you know, Depeche Mode, Erasure, Pet Shop Boys, all of those guys. And once I listened back, I could actually hear the influence and they're not reinventing themselves when they just keep themselves on their toes. There's so many levels. They're like an onion. The more you peel away, I'm a fan for like over 20 years and I still find myself listening to songs and peeling away layers and going, there's something new there. There is something new there each and every time. And I'm so happy for them that they finally got what they've long desired. And if you get to see the Sparks Brothers, the documentary by Edgar Wright, you know what I mean. And that is that a film project that they create, that they wrote, has now come to life. First couple times that they tried, they unfortunately did not come through with that. But now they have a net. It's on the verge of being released here in the States on Amazon Prime. I want to ask you this. With the awards it's already won now, I mean, does that possibly set a precedent for the future with some Oscar buzz and more awards? Because the documentary is well thought of. The movie itself is fairly well thought of as well, but the soundtrack and the song featuring a Academy Award winner, Marion Cotillard, Adam Driver, who's an Academy Award nominee, and Simon Helberg, who's a Golden Globe nominee, all these people came to support Sparks. What does that say? I think, actually, the Oscars could be the Oscars of Sparks. The documentary, I legitimately think, could be up for best documentary. It is a very, very well thought out piece. Edgar Wright knows his stuff. It is his first documentary, but he knows how to tell a story. And I think it's, even if you're not a fan, it's a fantastic retrospective of music history over the last 50 years. But then, like you said, you have a net. The soundtrack is great. The soundtrack will definitely have nominated songs. Leo's already won best director. I think it could be up there with that. It is the kind of thing the Academy loves. I really think, you know, the the Sparks could dominate the Oscars this year, which would be brilliant. I would love that. I would love it as well. And they would finally get the worldwide acclaim they so richly deserve because it's been so tremendous listening to their music over the course of, again, five decades. And it's just been fantastic for them. And I hope 2021 and 2022 are tremendous years for both, hopefully winning years for both. So I wanted to ask you this, and we'll close it out with this. Why should people get into Sparks? Why shouldn't they? Well, because they literally do have something for everybody. Like you actually said earlier, and you summed it up perfectly, they cover every genre. Like they have touched on like glam, pop, rock, you name it, they have done it. But I think in a previous life, Ron would have been a stand-up comedian. And you know, like, and Russell obviously was the matinee. They're just such an amazing duo. Also, the lyrics are just amazing. I mean, Ron did that whole lyrically speaking during lockdown, where he basically, for people who don't know, he 
went live online reading out Sparks lyrics. And it was just fantastic because you didn't even always realize fully the depth of them until you saw him actually saying them with such gravitas because these came from his heart. Um, just everything about them. Like I genuinely dragged the the only time they have played Ireland to date was 2006 when they did the electric picnic and they're playing in April I'm very excited for that but up until then this was 2006 and I dragged and I mean dragged a lot of friends there on the basis of Sparks who all thought I was a bit mad when Sparks were coming on I honestly was running around various bars you know getting them together, shepherding them up, dragging them into the bars. Some of them were chatting up girls. They were not happy. They really thought I had gone mad. And then they saw Sparks. And within about, you know, four notes, they were hooked. And they're all still fans. They're that kind of band. I I wrote something about them recently saying, you know, once bitten, forever smitten. But it is like that. They just hook you in. And it's because I think it's because you don't know what to expect. They keep you on your toes. It's very easy to listen to a band to release the same stuff all the time, the same sound all the time. But when you don't know what's coming next, it's really interesting. And you find yourself questioning, you know, what they are, where they're at and where you are at. And I just think everybody should listen to them, watch them, see a live show. They're just brilliant. Their energy is phenomenal and that's a very rambling reason why everyone should listen to sparks but a great reason nonetheless once again it is fran winston at sparks indiscreet a sparks fan group today on facebook i'll tell you what fran all the way from ireland i am truly blessed that you came on the show today it's lovely to see you lovely to see you as well i'm looking forward to annette hopefully they will generate oscar buzz like we were talking about and we will hopefully see more from sparks down the road Thank you so much, Fran, for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Freddie Valentine. Thank you so much for being part of today's program. It's a pleasure to be here, sir. Very much a pleasure. With this movie, Annette, finally getting a larger audience and getting more people interested in Sparks, it's going to be something great to see. I think it is. I think they're one of these artists that people are going to catch on to later and realize how good they were. Sparks. We're ahead of their time. I mean, the number one in heaven album, it's a synthesizer duo. They were the first people to do that. And this is like late 70s. You know, there was just yeah. like a, a serious keyboard player, flamboyant front man. And then you had Soft Cell. That was a similar sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? The Pet Shop Boys and Erasure. And so many of these duos came out synthesized with a serious keyboard player and a flamboyant front man. And they were the first to do it, you know, and, and they were ahead of their time. I mean, if you listen to the, the Island Records uh, albums, they're quite ahead of their time as well. Because Queen took a lot of inspiration from Sparks, I believe, with the operatic style mixed with glam rock, which is what they were doing at the time. And even the pop stuff, like you say, in the 80s, the stuff like cool places and stuff like that it was quite ahead of its time you know because it's quite early on in the 80s they were doing that kind of thing you know this new wave kind of style so they've always been there innovating and I, and doing it before anybody else they are definitely i'd say innovators rather than commercial artists and i feel a lot of respect in the industry for them rather than the public but they do have followings around the world i mean in the uk they're always massive every time i go and see them live they're sold out the first time I saw them was in 1994 at the um, Shepherd's Bush Empire. They hadn't been in the UK for a long time. Gigs in the 70s, then they vanished to America in the 80s, obviously with the stuff that you were talking about there. And then 94, the Gratuitous Sax album came out and they had a gig at the Shepherd's Bush Empire. And I thought, I'm going to go and see it. I'll either be blown away or I'm going to be disappointed. I want to see them so badly. 
I went to this concert and it was the best concert I've seen in my life. And I've seen thousands. It was the most amazing performance. You know, his voice was spot on. The music was fantastic. And since then, I vowed every time I can humanly see them, I will go and see as many gigs as I can. And since then, I've seen them 30 times. And every concert blows me away. How fantastic they are. What a great frontman Russell is. And the energy they've got. And so many good songs. I mean, there's so much vibrancy in their music and, and, and diversity in the catalogue as well. So and I think that there's always been a fan base here, like a cult following in the UK. So every time they play, it's sold out and the good thing at a sparks concert fans are also felt a bit of a almost like an exclusive club so people would be friendly at these concerts they weren't just people jump on the bandwagon they've been fans for years so you can meet friends and meet people at a concert it's a very good vibe at the concerts here so i don't know what it's like in the states when they play but over here it's very much a select following of hardcore sparks fans you know people that knew them loved them including myself ron and russell mail i mean after so many years need to be credited for designing music that has been so much a part of our lives in so many ways. But I think probably one of the biggest compliments that you could say to them, especially with the release of Annette this weekend to Amazon Prime here in the U.S. and coming soon all over the world, is the song that I'm going to throw out there. I'm going to throw out some early Oscar buzz. Whatever you think about Annette, as far as an overall movie is concerned, whether you think it's Oscar-worthy or not, the Sparks Brothers could come in as an Oscar-nominee-worthy documentary because the word on that has been very good. But the song, So May We Start, to me, it just seems like it's an epitome of what the band is all about, what Ron and Russell have been all about as far as their distinct vocal style, the lyrics... It's all there and the type of experimental music that they want to put into it and the style that they want to create. It just seems to me like a a whole five decades worth of bringing it all together. And who better to bring it with, not only than Sparks, but they have Academy Award winner Marion Cotillard, Academy Award nominee Adam Driver, and Golden Globe nominee Simon Helberg from The Big Bang Theory, all a part of this song as well. So just to have that kind of support behind you, who are stars of the movie, Annette, yeah. it just tells you that there is a group out there that truly loves Sparks. Oh, definitely. I mean, they're so down to earth. They're so modest about what they've done and, and, and appreciative of the fans. You know, they actually appreciate the fact that you followed them for all these years and support what they do. They're true gentlemen. I can't think of anything about them that's bad everything about them is wonderful i cannot thank them enough for what they've done for my life and what they've done for all the fans out there including the great fan group on facebook sparks indiscreet if you're a big sparks fan that's a great place to go go ahead and see if you can inquire today about becoming a part of the sparks indiscreet a sparks fan group page on facebook but this is freddie valentine and freddie i'll tell you what it's been truly a pleasure speaking to you with your thoughts on sparks any last thoughts on the way out? Yeah, I mean, if anybody listening who's not heard Sparks before, I mean, do, do check out their catalogue. You know, get get a few albums from each era. Get Come on to my house, number one in heaven, uh, Sparks and Out of Space and Little Beethoven. Get those albums and you will have a lifetime of joy. Then you'll go into all the other albums. There's 25 gems out there for you to discover. So, yes, please discover Sparks. They are wonderful. Well, Freddie, I cannot thank you enough for spending just a short bit of time with me. I truly appreciate it. You're always welcome back to talk your memories of Sparks. I look forward again to hearing more from you in the future. And again, we just truly appreciate you being part of the pop culture cosmos. Thank you so much. If you want to see the coolest action figure collections out there, the stuff that you played with as a kid, hear from industry insiders that made the toys that really truly defined who we are, then you got to check out season one of Action Figure Adventure. 
Check out Action Figure Adventure now, exclusively at Big Bad Toy Store. You'll get 10 episodes of awesome action figure fun. I guarantee if you grew up playing toys, you will love Action Figure Adventure. We're back with the show. It's Gerald Glassford. Come right back at you here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. I want to thank you so much for watching and listening. It's What If! What If is out on Disney Plus, starting to go ahead and shape the future of the MCU. Disney has made clear that some of the characters that will be developed in the What If series, whether it's season one, season two, and beyond, will become part of the MCU. So how is it going to shape the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Today, I have a great guest on who has his own version of the MCU and thoughts on it each and every time out. It is the MCU's Bleeding Edge, and it's Jeff Sloboda. Jeff, thanks for coming on the show today. Gerald, it is wonderful to be here, and thank you so much for not butchering my name for once. You, you are, you're a great man. Oh, I try, I try. I've already seen some great stories already being told this year with WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, a.k.a. Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And of course, something I really enjoyed was the ending of the Loki series. I really liked the fact that it's not going to be a thing where it's just one entity that you're dealing with as far as Thanos is concerned, but you're going to be dealing with a whole bunch of things possibly in Kang or many Kangs because the multiverse is now in play when it comes to the MCU and in doing so has created this what if scenario, which was once thought to be not going to be canon. It's just going to be something that we thought it was on the side, but producers have said this will definitely become a part of the MCU. So I want to hear your thoughts on what if and the concept of it and how it, the expanding multiverse shapes the future of the way you will watch the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, Gerald, I think that there's a lot to this conversation, and I'm going to try to sort of come with some different angles with this topic and this question, but try to make it concise. Basically, people need to understand when it comes to this whole multiverse direction or like baby that they, they're, you know, they're dropping here now in the MCU with Loki and the finale and everything and whatnot. And now what if I feel like there's a risk here where it's really a legitimate situation where if they potentially try to overdo this concept, it could actually put off or turn off some fans and it could also create a dichotomy where for the first time in the MCU, things actually start to get a little convoluted here and there. Because when you're dealing with the multiverse, unless you're like a diehard old school Marvel comic book fan or DC comic book fan that's familiar with it, a lot of newer MCU fans, especially younger MCU fans, I don't feel like they're going to be willing to be patient and tolerant, you know, in terms of what they receive, what's put out there with them, as far as how they express the multiverse, how they handle the multiverse in the MCU, I feel like you could turn off some of those fans that are kind of maybe, you know, a little bit lighter when it comes to, you know, how much patience they have. For instance, when WandaVision came out, how many people out there did you, did you hear and I heard that felt like they didn't like WandaVision at first? They didn't like the direction it was going. They didn't like the pace. They felt it was too slow. A lot of people didn't like it. Now, I think that some of them came along over time and they came along to it, to the show. I loved it personally, but 
my point is just that, you know, with that whole premise to try to connect it, I don't think there is a lot of patience in terms of a lot of the MCU fans that are kind of fringe. And at that point, if you start getting things a little bit too complicated for them, they might get turned off a little bit. As far as what if, them making it canon, how I think that will play out, I think it's an interesting situation. I think it puts Marvel Studios in a really, really great position in terms of watching the fandom and seeing how popular certain characters are in these episodes in terms of then doing something with that same character with a live action production maybe in the future. I think there is a possibility that they could go in that direction, but I feel like what they're doing with What If is going to end up being very contained to this series. I don't believe there's going to be a massive interconnectivity that you're going to end up seeing in the long run with these episodes where they're literally going to factor heavily into what we get out of phase four and phase five of the MCU. I just don't see it happening. Well, there'll be characters that they've already stated, the producers stated that will be live action part of it. Like, for instance, Haley Atwell, I would definitely see her after her appearance in, in episode one as Captain Carter. I could definitely see her returning to a live action form at some point down the line, maybe even as early as Doctor Strange to the Multiverse of Madness. And I understand completely, and I agree with you on the sense that to casual Marvel fans or to casual pop culture fans in general, when you're watching this, if you're not keeping up to date, you're not crossing your T's or dotting your I's while you're watching it, that knows everything that's going on, it is going to become confusing. Just as Flashpoint with the DC Universe may really become confusing for any casual fans out there as well. I mean, both of these big, iconic properties, DC and Marvel, are on the verge of either just bringing everybody in finally or alienating like you said uh, you know a lot of individuals that are out there because of the fact that there's going to be so much thrown at you and in the case of marvel there's going to be a ton of tv shows coming over the next couple actually even beyond two three four years they're going to be out there they've got to just do you know okay i gotta watch this i gotta watch this i gotta watch this plus the movies that are coming on the way as well so i mean there's going to be so many things you have to watch in order to stay abreast of what's going on in marvel i think you will probably lose a casual fan here or there i wouldn't be surprised at that well i honestly uh, to tell you the truth as far as the doctor strange 2 goes i don't see Haley atwell's peggy carter fitting into that fold to be honest with you just because i feel like i feel like sam raimi and marvel have a pretty tight grasp on where they want that vehicle to go and what they want that vehicle to introduce into the... Well, that, that said that there's a great possibility she could appear some point in time down the line. And yes. many have speculated that she might make a small appearance in the Multiverse of Madness simply because it has a, a multiverse concept in mind. But if not, there's somewhere down the line. No, there's always that possibility. You never know with Marvel Studios. I would never, I would never actually discredit any possibility with them because you never know. Yeah. They surprise me all the time. There's actually, to tell you the truth, as far as what I can tell, there is a very, very, very massive desire, especially on the female MCU fan side, to get more Peggy Carter. Like, they want it. They've wanted it for a while. Absolutely. Um, you know, and do they end up delivering to, with them? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I feel like, you know, the MCU is in a position right now where they have a couple different 
female characters that could really, really, really blow up in the next couple of years. I think that Wanda, Elizabeth Olsen, has basically positioned herself to where she's basically, she's taken over the top spot in the MCU as the lead female character in the MCU. Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios have already almost conceded with their actions and how they've handled Elizabeth Olsen that she kind of is now the number one, the Black Widow now of the MCU in a way. And well, powers-wise, I mean, right now she's more powerful than ever, and now that she's gained all this power and and you know, obviously the way the series left off it inferences that she's going to become a major part of what's going on in the future. I would agree with you on that. She has been a part of the filming for Dr. Strange to yeah. the multiverse of the madness. So, and then, like you said, if there's a, if there's a WandaVision season two, or she will be integrated somewhere else along the line, maybe even a movie of her own, but yeah. I would probably say maybe a WandaVision season two because of the success of that series but you never know. I mean, but she, I agree with you that she will become a major, even even greater part than she was before. I think you make a really great point there. I really do. And you know what? I hate to admit it. It makes me kind of pissed off. But you are the actual first person that's actually gotten it in my head that there's a possibility that they could make solo movies with her. And you know what? Now that I think about it, I really do believe that rather than do a WandaVision season two, they would rather cash in on her popularity and give us a trilogy of solo films with her. They haven't admitted to a season two, of, they, or they haven't committed uh, on a public level. They haven't said that they are committing to a season two of WandaVision. The only season two that they've actually committed on are What If and Loki are the ones that they've actually committed verbally. We're getting Captain America 4. That's right, Captain America 4. Yes, yes, there's already a writer in place. Yes, I remember that now. Yeah, absolutely, yes. When when you talk about the fact that casual fans peering in are probably asking you all the time exactly, what do I need to watch, man? I, I, I Do I have to watch all of it? I mean, technically, Kevin Feige would tell you, you need to watch all of it. But, you know, it's going to get to the point where there's so much consumption out there. I know some of the hosts that I do shows with at the Pop Culture Cosmos have a hard time catching up. They've got their lives. They've got stuff that they have to do, their family, their work, a whole nine yards. So it's hard to keep up with everything that Disney is doing. So it's going to become more and more difficult the more stuff that they put out. So people will have to pick and choose what they want to go ahead and consume in the MCU. Well, I think that that kind of actually interconnects and really kind of explains in a way what I kind of was trying to say earlier, which is that it's not just also the multiverse being a concept that could become like too weird or like too out there again. I feel like there's a line there that Marvel Studios needs to cross. And I think they're very aware of this, where overconsumption could become a problem. It could become something where, you know, it could take away some of the greatness of some of these shows. At that point, I feel like that's partially why I don't see what if spawning all kinds of like multiple productions based off of these like episodes and these these characters because i feel like they've already got so much prepared so much on the slate for phase four and phase five that you're already going to be putting like stress on the fans time-wise to even keep up with all these disney plus series and everything and 
I mean, honestly, Gerald, how many do they have lined up right now? I mean, what, like another six or seven or eight of them? That they've announced. As I've always talked about on the show, Kevin Feige's office, that whiteboard is in exactly the timeline he has mapped out. Who knows how long it is that he already has in place. But before we head on out, Jeff, I wish you could go ahead and tell us how people can check out your show and why they need to check out the MCU's Bleeding Edge. Well, I mean, geez, you know what? I'm not all that good when it comes to talking about myself. Or, or it's your show, man. I it's know, your no, show. I know. I know. No, no. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver. Look, as far as the MCU's Bleeding Edge goes, we are a podcast. We are a YouTube channel. I started it in 2020, but it did not actually formulate. And uh, I did not join up with my co-hosts and everything until about three months ago. You know, you can find our podcast on any of the directories. We're through Anchor. We appreciate whenever anybody takes the time to support us and subscribe to the YouTube channel or whatever. But I mean, we do live stream reviews of MCU films, Disney Plus series episodes every Wednesday evening at 9.05 p.m. Eastern, 6.05 p.m. Pacific. Twitch, Facebook Live, YouTube, Trovo, VK Live, the list goes on and on. We're very easy to find. We're very accessible. The reason why you should tune in is because overall, we put out a very informative and we try to make it a fun show every time. And Cyber, my main co-host, moderates shows and then I moderate the show after that. When it boils down to it, if you catch one of my shows when I'm moderating, you never know what the hell might happen, basically. I mean, it could go anywhere. We definitely try to create an environment that is geared more towards adults. And we do a lot of interesting, different things as far as the structure of our shows that I find like is fun and appealing. We change the pace during the shows. We don't always talk the MCU. Sometimes we'll review an episode of Loki, for instance, and then do an hour-long segment at the end of the show watching and reacting to the Batman trailer with Robert Pattinson, you know, and we'll change gears. But overall... You should definitely come check us out, mainly because Gerald told you so. I mean, he already said you should. So at that point, I mean, I'll just stick with him. There you go. It is the MCU's Bleeding Edge. You need to go ahead and check it out today. Subscribe on YouTube or check the audio version out wherever you get your podcasts. There are a lot of great episodes there already. If you like your pop culture, you like your superheroes, there's a great place to go, and it's the MCU's Bleeding Edge. So please go ahead and support these great podcasters today. Well, I'll tell you what, it is Jeff Sloboda. It is definitely a great pleasure to have you on. I wanted to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to go ahead and speak to me on what's going on with What If and your hopes for that series and also the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now where we're at. I do appreciate your opinion. Some great thoughts right there for you. So cannot thank you enough for going ahead and sharing that with us. And do you have any last thoughts on the way out? I am honored to have been on here, and I would be literally doubly honored if you would find a spot for me sometime to come back on again and do another segment. Maybe a couple of your fans might pop up and tell you, like, hey, you know, we wouldn't mind seeing this Jeff guy from the MCU's Bleeding Edge again. Well, the red carpet is open for you. So, yes, we'll definitely bring you back on once more MCU and maybe even DCEU stuff pops up. But, yes, definitely would love to have you back on talking superheroes, talking pop culture. The red carpet is open for you. Looking forward to your return right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. 
If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back with the show. It's the PCC Multiverse. I'm here along with my good friend. She is the mastermind behind some of our best games in tabletop RPG as the number one Facebook tabletop RPG streamer. It's Melinda Barkhouse. And Melinda, before we head on out, I wanted to thank so much Jess Sloboda, also as well, Fran Winston and Freddie Valentine. But before we head on out, I wanted to go ahead and ask you, WWE SummerSlam, it's on our doorstep. It's at the Allegiant Stadium coming up here this weekend. I know when you look at it right now, you see John Cena hitting the bill. He's on the top of the list. You see Goldberg. He is on the top of the list. I feel like I'm watching 2003 again, and it's not looking that pretty. I understand that they have to come in and see if they can get some buys, but to me, it just seems like the WWE is relying on this older talent that's not going to be there. So really, the, the outcomes are really not much in doubt. And to me, it just seems like they're not relying more on the talent that they have or don't have enough confidence in the talent that they have currently. Yeah, I've been to three WWE events, and each time The Undertaker was supposed to be there, and each time he didn't show up. So at least John Cena will show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the which same- is very surprising because he just finished the press car wash, as they call it, mm-hmm. for the Suicide Squad. He signed up to do another movie, so he's going to be doing that. And he's got a lot of other projects on the way, plus what his involvement could be for the Fast and Furious because they just announced the new Fast and Furious movie, number 10. The plate's full, yet he spends time still in the WWE which is huge, really. But I'm excited to wander around down on the strip and see how many buff bodies I can see and who which wrestlers I can spot in the crowd. <laughs> Look at you. Look it's at terrible. you. It's terrible. Yes. And uh, I, I'll be looking forward to my free ticket, right, Gerald? Yeah. Right? There are comps that are out there. You know, in this town, because if it doesn't sell out, they want to fill it up. And I know there are comps out there, so I know that they're going to probably be trying hard to go ahead and fill those seats at WWE because they really want it to look good on television. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the Las Vegas area, you might be not so hard-pressed to find some free tickets if you wanted to go ahead because that's a big stadium, and it's a brand-new stadium, and they want Mm -hmm. to make the right impression. So in order to do so, you got to fill it up. And I know it's not a sellout as of this time, although – Forty to 50,000 people is still a good haul at this time during the period of COVID. I want to hear your thoughts on this, the future going forward for the company. I mean, they have this continual reliance, every big card that they do on reaching back to the past, like a John Cena, who has one foot in the door and one foot out the door always. Bill Goldberg, who is now in his 50s. Actually, he's even older than I am, I think, at this point. And, you know, again, The Undertaker, He's supposedly retired, but if they throw some cash at him next WrestleMania, he might actually show up for WrestleMania. (laughs) I think the industry, and I'm going to have a conversation here coming up in a couple weeks with John Orlando, where we talk about the state of the pro wrestling industry. But I really think that it needs to spend more time developing new stars that people will go ahead and want to come and see. 
So, I mean, we have the Las Vegas Golden Knights here in town, right? And I've been following very closely along the lines of how and what the NHL is doing to attract younger fans. So we're talking like Generation Z or Zed. Yes. And what the NHL is starting to learn from doing all of these focus groups and and stuff like that on specifically Gen Z is that they like when an organization and players take a stand on social issues. So, and I know that uh, wrestling has a bit of a tradition with that. Like you would have your heels and the good guys like Hulk Hogan stood for taking your vitamins and and all of that stuff, right? Until people started turning on him. Then he made the smartest move of his career and turned on the people instead. Yeah, huge, right? But I think that maybe they need to revisit having very clear lines between their good guys and their bad guys and what they stand for versus what the bad guys stand for and, and, and that kind of stuff. Well, that, that created, like you're saying, that created the best environment for professional wrestling, which was the attitude era of the late nineties. And I know that it's easy for me to say that and glamorize over that. But to me, I have to look at it objectively and say, that was the period of time when they had the best ratings when they drew the biggest houses, when they drew the biggest income. And you have to look at what went right. What went right with this era, this period of time for both WCW and the WWE and take a look at it objectively and say, you know what, maybe we need to go ahead and repeat history on this occasion and look at it objectively and say, you know what, they did this. Maybe we need to do something similar in order to regain some of the fan base we've lost. Absolutely. Because obviously they're seeing something in Gen X that they, when they keep going back to like the undertakers and stuff like that and trying to get them back into the ring. So it's not like people in our generation, Gerald, has completely forgotten about pro wrestling. I just think that it's more of the same that we've been seeing for years. And then with what Gen Z is asking for, maybe that's the spark that will bring it back to those glory days. I don't know. Well, the thing is, with our generation, our generation, according to the ratings, is still a solid line. It's still Mm -hmm. an individual base that watches wrestling no matter what. And if that's the case, they shouldn't market it to us. You said it yourself, Generation Z, the youngest generation, that's what really got in the 80s with the Hulk Hogan, Eat Your Mm -hmm. Vitamins, Say Your Prayers, and all that stuff. During the 80s, they hooked a lot of young audiences at that time. There's a whole bunch of people that whenever I interview them, they talked about the time. Well, I first caught wrestling on Saturday morning TV and blah, 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 blah. When you were a young kid, yeah. before they even you know, knew how to drive or do anything like that, you don't have those stories now for young kids. You don't have those stories that they're sitting down and watching wrestling. All you have now is individuals like in our age bracket or in not too much younger than that talking about wrestling. You need to have a younger audience to buy in. And that's not just with with wrestling. That's with Star Wars. That's with any IP that's out there that's been longstanding. The worst thing you can do is not age well. Because if you don't, you're going to lose your fan base. Your fan base, unfortunately, and for lack of a better term, is going to die off, literally. And the fact is you don't have enough of a youth to replace it. And the WWE right now... Yeah, they have a sweet deal with Peacock for a billion dollars for five years. And they've got that like pillow like right under them that they can always rest on. But they need to continue to try and challenge themselves. And one way of doing so is maybe reaching back into the past to find out what worked. Yeah, that secret sauce. 
Absolutely. Copy Absolutely. that recipe, update it a little bit, maybe a little less MSG, maybe a little more real product. I don't know what the answer is, but I think that it's a good place to start for them. Absolutely. I think so as well. And this weekend, it is WWE SummerSlam. If you have thoughts on it, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. If you like the show, we will go ahead on the Facebook page and have a spoilerific listing on it. We'll have a news item that you can go ahead and check out all the results if you don't want to go ahead and over to Peacock. But if you do, it's on Peacock. It's Saturday night. Hope you enjoy it. And if you do or you don't, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, Melinda, it's been a great episode, but before we get to your final thoughts for the show, I wanted to go ahead and ask, did you catch the latest trailer for Star Wars Visions? I know you're a big anime fan. Yes. So I want to ask your thoughts on Star Wars Visions. I thought it looked absolutely beautiful, and I'm really psyched for that and the Blade Runner anime later on this year coming to Adult Swim. Those two have me absolutely excited for a genre I've not always been 100% into after watching Akira. As I always say, I watched Akira, and after that, it was hard for me to go back to anime after Akira, after how brilliant it was. It feels like an acceptable cartoon for grownups to watch, and I don't know why that is, but it just holds a special place in my heart. This one is going to be nine original stories that Lucasfilms reached out to seven different anime studios in Japan to do. Each episode, which I'm a big fan of, is being released in its original Japanese with the original voice acting cast, as well as a dubbed version, which will have an American cast. Mm -hmm. And big names on the list, too, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Neil Patrick Harris, Lucy Liu. So some pretty big deal voices are going to be heard in this one. And it looks tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. And I did get a chance to watch a lot of the series with my daughter, Demon Slayer, that was on Hulu. I recommend that highly. And of course, the movie that was such a huge hit for weeks in Japan in 2020, and one of the biggest anime movies of all time, the Demon Slayer movie. And there's a sequel on the way for that. So Star Wars Visions, though, really looks tremendous. And I can tell you what, I haven't been this excited for anime in quite a long time. Well, good. Yeah, because you're getting a bunch of different short stories, I think that the studios were perhaps a little bit more experimental with what they were doing and and how they animated things. One of the shorts is mostly black and white, which is definitely not the norm for anime. It's, you know, like an explosion of color most of the time. So I'm excited to see how that will pay off, that one in particular. I'm, I'm very curious about that one. Well, episodes are coming late next month to Disney+, Plus, so you and I are both looking forward to it. If anybody else out there is looking forward to it, you're excited for it or not, please share us your thoughts, Pop Culture Cosmos, wherever you get your social media, and popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, Melinda, it's been great having you on. Again, special thank you to all of our guests today, but any last thoughts on the way out? You need to watch, and it's an anime, but stick with it. It's called Violet Evergarden, and okay. it is stunning animation. It's beautiful. I think that the the animators might have been doing, like, I don't know, a very thorough lesson in the physics of hair. Because all of the hair animation in that series and movies is just gorgeous. And it's one of the only animes that had me like sobbing on the couch while I was eating my ice cream. Such an emotional story. It's really, really good. You should definitely give that one a shot. And where can we find that at? 
I it was on Netflix the last that I looked for it and they had everything they had both seasons and I believe two or three of the movies not too surprising Netflix has made its mark in the anime industry trying to see what they can do to compete with Crunchyroll and now Crunchyroll's made some several acquisitions to try and stay ahead of Netflix and Hulu but you know with the power of Netflix it may not be long before we're calling Netflix the anime king true well, I'll tell you what, Melinda, it's been great having you here. Looking forward for many appearances for you on this show. Again, if anybody out there has questions for us or you want us to cover a topic on pop culture, let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. So for Melinda Barkhouse, this is Gerald Glassman. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC Multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great welcome to dr geek's laboratory Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO Network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. Welcome to the Ring of Thunder, the most electrifying wrestling podcast in the Thunderverse and the ESO Network. From the power of the people's host, Sexy Thor, critics say, it doesn't matter what the critics say. You already know you're in for a hammer swinging, burrito eating, mic blazing, hair raising time with this weekly wrestling adventure, WWE, AEW, Impact, and whatever else I can possibly fit. If you hear what the Thunder is talking. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.